Welcome to Friday's edition of Big BKL here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live as we're with you for the next 60 minutes. Taking your phone calls at 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Alongside Jeff Fiegels, I'm Lance Meadow. We're going to be joined by a very special guest here right off the top, and then we'll start to set the stage for rookie minicamp as the Giants signed 11 undrafted free agents. But right now, we're going to focus on the Giants' fifth-round pick from this year's draft, and that is defensive tackle R.J. McIntosh out of Miami. We are now joined by Joel Rodriguez, Miami Football Director of Player Development for the Defense. Coach, you got Lance Meadow. I'm sure you're very familiar with my partner, Jeff Fiegels. Appreciate <laughs> Hi, the time. How's everything? Yeah, you know, me and Jeff, we, we, we met a few times. <laughs> a couple of times. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. You know, a player I, may I have was tell, I was telling Lance that we actually had breakfast uh, on, on when Zach was there for his official visit, so that was a good thing. And, um, we did. We did. It was, it, was a hell, it was a hell of breakfast, too. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I, and it's funny that you, you mentioned – Mentioned Zach, I'm I'm on my way to the airport later on after the show is over to pick him up for for a, a short little jaunt home for ten days before he's got to come back down there and get back in school and start to go to work and you know get things going for next season. So we're excited about that, but we're also excited. I'm more more excited because there's what completed the Giants draft was the fact that we had a guy drafted from Miami. That <laughs> that makes me happy, Joel. And I tell you, for the guys that the people that listen to our show, they know that we, we talked about the Hurricanes all last year. Um, I obviously have uh, a reason to root for them, uh, but just a tad, just a tad. Yeah. But the fact is, is that you know to have <laughs> have have uh, this guy McIntosh on the team this year. I got to meet him yesterday for the first time, and I actually said to him, "Hey, how you doing?" He's like, "Good." I said, "Listen, Jeff Fiegels." He goes, "Fiegels." I said, "Yeah, yeah." My son Zach's on your was uh, your teammate. He goes. No way! Wow, that's the what? He, he was so confused about it. He was he was just kind of like, wait a second, how is this all happening here? You know. So, but it was exciting to have him, it's, and yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing sometimes, you know, the, the things that we, you know, and, and not that we're that much. I mean, obviously, I'm a little younger than you are, Jeff, but it, I'm obviously older than RJ is. It's amazing sometimes the things, you know, the, the knowledge that we take for granted. Like, yeah, you know, that that. The, that they can, you know, kind of dots of, you know, who's who and, and who played here in the past and whatnot. And then, you know, when sure. they don't get it sometimes, it's kind of like, well, how do you not know that that, that, that Zach is Jeff's kid and that he played here and so on and so forth, you know? Yeah. Well, that just goes to show you some of the guys are oblivious to some of the things they see in the hallways that go into the meetings there in Miami. There's all kinds of the pro guys. They have the pictures of everybody, yeah. you know, the Hall of Fame, all that kind of stuff. I guess it doesn't really matter to the younger generation. And actually, my boss, Don Spurt, uh Sperling told me, Jeff, don't worry about it. There's a lot of people on this team that don't even know who Michael Strahan is, so don't worry about that. I'm like, wow, okay, if they don't know who Michael Strahan is, they're sure the heck are not going to know who I am. <laughs> oh, anyways. They think Strahan just just some talking head on TV. They haven't argued that he was a great player at one point. It's amazing. It's funny. I'll tell you what, it's, it, it, the funny thing is, uh, I had a similar experience, but not that I was anywhere near as good a player as, as you were here, Jeff. I mean, I played here from 2004, won a national title, and you know, had a short career in the NFL and everything. And I was our star middle linebacker, Shaq Quarterman, won an award for you know something recently locally here. I had to drive him to the award ceremony, and we're driving. And at one point, he saw like something like car or whatnot, there, or some a piece of, uh, of of you know memorabilia. He's like, hey, he's like, well. Hey, Rod, you play here? And I was like, dude, I was like, yeah, I played here like way back in the day. Come on, like, what's going on here? You know, like, and this is guy I've talked to me for the last three years. It's crazy, <laughs> it really is. Well, real quickly, I would to, to add to that. I was when I was in uh, with, I think I might have been with the Eagles or the Cardinals. I went to play Green Bay, and um, and Winston Moss was on the team there. Okay, 
Um, so he played for actually he was a coach. And I walked up to Winston and I inter- I said to him, "Hey Winston, how you doing?" He goes, "Good, man. How you doing?" I go, "Dude, you don't know who I am, do you?" He goes, "Man, I don't. I'm sorry." I'm like. I'm Jeff Eagles. I was your teammate at Miami, dude. He's like, he had, I was the punter. He had no idea who I was. I'm like, wow. Okay. So I guess we did, you know, the punters and kickers, we really did stay away from all the rest of the team. And now that really defines it, that we really did stay away. The guys don't even know who the heck I was. I was on the team with them. Well, Jeff, you were that memorable, obviously. Oh, my God, yeah. Unbelievable. So talk about memorable. It's really, it's really it's really a blow to the ego, isn't it? It's really bad. <laughs> I, I think we got to do some better coordination at these Miami alumni events or something. Well, we're getting there. We're getting you know, there. Come it's on, fine. guys. So, I anyways. expect uh, a little bit more out of the two of you. Well, l- let's get to the topic at hand, Coach, and R.J. McIntosh, who you've had the opportunity to see up close and personal. What are the Giants getting out of a young defensive lineman like that? I think what you're getting is a very, very moldable but very, very talented piece of clay. You know, RJ is, uh, first of all, as a person, he's a phenomenal human being. He's a great young man. He comes from a great family. He's, he's been, he's been well-raised. He's been well-taught, well-schooled. Um, you know, uh, you know, all, all the kids, you know, he's, he's got a couple siblings and they've all gone to college. They've all been well in school. Uh, they're very intelligent, you know, so, so he's going to be a, a cerebral player. He'll take the coaching. He'll listen. He'll learn. He'll, he'll try and do whatever, however the coaches, you know, uh, um, you know, tell him to do something. But what's exci- I think what's most exciting about RJ, and I think why, he, you know, there was a, a buzz about him, you know, towards the end of his, uh, his his last year here, and obviously going through the draft process was that there was still so so much room between where he was currently playing and where his ceiling was, and a big part just because he hasn't really played. The position that long, you know, RJ was a was a, a big time basketball prospect in high school, and RJ was a guy that we all, I mean, locally um, and in state, I think we all knew about RJ because he's a big kid at a decent, at a pretty good high school program in Cardinal Gibbons in Fort Lauderdale. But he, he was not a national name because when when a lot of these guys are going to you know the Nike openings and the, and the Under Armour combines all over the country, RJ was missing those things because he was playing AU basketball. So he wasn't a national, you know, name on the recruiting scene, but he was definitely a very high earmarked name, you know, for, for, for in-state prospects in Florida. So, but he didn't play a ton of D-line in high school. He was really a tight end that played the dabble in some D-line. And then, you know, when he first got here, he didn't redshirt his first year. He played, but he probably played, I would say, less than 50 snaps of defense as a true freshman. He played a lot of you know, uh, punt coverage stuff and, 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 and KOR stuff. So really his sophomore year, which is 2016, was his first true season practicing and playing defensive line as a, as a true defensive lineman. So the kid has really only played D-line for two years. Um, so, and to be, to be that big, that athletic, and be that productive with that little bit of, of background at the position, I think it's exciting to think that, you know, okay, well, you know, if a, if a great coach and a great you know and and, uh, and a great a great team like like the the Giants get their hands on him, what can this kid be through two, three, four, five years from now? That's the exciting part about it. Well, I think what's exciting about it, and, I, and it's going to be you know we're going to have to wait and see, but you know him coming from a four three going to a three four. Talk a little bit about how you think can, he can adjust to that. 
um, playing that position. And, um, you know, how do you think he'll do with that? You know, I think that actually probably suits him better, to be honest with you. I think RJ is probably more of, I mean, if you're, if you're going to draw prototypical size, speed, length ratios for a 3-4 defensive end as opposed to a 4-3-3 technique, I think RJ kind of leans more towards a 3-4 defensive end, right? Because he's, he's, he's going to be big enough to take on double teams from a tackle tight end combination, right? Uh, which, which is what a five technique is going to do for a living, obviously, a 3-4. Uh, and then he's gonna, and, but you also don't have to check. What happens a lot of times, why so many teams go from three, four, four, three on third down, is because a lot of those three, four five, uh, defensive ends are kind of bigger, heavier footed, you know, kind of two gapping run stoppers that don't give you a ton of production and, and, and pass rush on early downs. I think with RJ, I think he's truly a three down prospect on the line. He can play the three, four defensive end, hold up in the run game, hold a point. Obviously, he can two gap. He can, he's shown the ability over two years to be a, definitely, a, you know, if you're going to move and slant and, and one gap him, he can definitely get the backfield and cause some havoc and some penetration and, and, and screw up some run game stuff as far as that goes. And then on top of that, once he reads out of the run and sees his pass on early down, or if he's, you know, line up over guard on third down in your sub package, I think he, he, he's going to give a lot of interior offense linemen some problems because he's got such fluid hits and he's got such high level movement skills. You know, for a young defensive lineman. We're talking with Joel Rodriguez, Miami's football director of player development for defense, talking about Giants fifth round pick <laughs> RJ McIntosh. And, you know, when you look at his numbers over the course of his career, you mentioned, you know, not a huge sample size because he hasn't been playing that long, but five and a half sacks. How much of an upside, coach, do you think he has in terms of perhaps developing into a consistent pass rusher in addition to what you talked about, his ability to stop the run? Well, and, and, and unfortunately, some of the biggest impact that R.J. had as a pass rusher doesn't show up on the stat line because a lot of times what he gave us was that initial push up in the back, up in the pocket, where, you know, he wasn't clean, but he was pushing a guard or edging a center and getting, you know, a hand or, or, or disruption in that quarterback's face. And, you know, uh, nowadays you talk not so much about, not that you don't want to hit the quarterback, obviously, but you hear the phrase, you know, affect the quarterback more so than hit the quarterback. Because a lot of times you can affect them in a negative way without necessarily hitting them, right? Getting them off the spot, making them scramble, you know, getting them off his first read. So a lot of the, a lot of the valuable stuff that RJ did for us as a pass rusher was maybe getting penetration up, up in the pocket and then forcing the quarterback off his spot to the right or left. And that and that walked that quarterback into a sack from one of our defensive ends or one of our blitzing linebackers or, one of our, or maybe the other D-tackle that was in there, you know? So... You know, although he only had five and a half sacks, I would venture to say, I mean, if you went back and look at the film, he probably had four or five times that many quarterback disruptions that season. Joel, did, did he, um, <clears throat> I know coming, uh, reading a little bit about when after the season was over of his uh, decision to come out as a junior, I'm sure that, you know, Coach Rick and the defensive and Manny and those guys would have loved to have him back for a senior season. Do you think he, would, he made the right move coming out um, as a junior, or do you think that maybe he would have uh, maybe been that third or second round draft pick if he had stayed another year? Well, I mean, obviously, selfishly, you know, we wanted him back, you know, and, and, and honestly, we thought that in our program, we our thought process is if you're not going to be a first or high level second round pick, then why not come back and be that guy the following year? Sure. You know? So, so we definitely want him to come back because if he, because 
And honestly, he was he he was he probably would have been drafted even higher as an underclassman had he not got sick. He got sick and lost about fifteen or fifteen pounds or so during the draft process. He got a, like a thyroid thing and couldn't eat and couldn't hold food and it lost fifteen pounds right around the combine time. So so that obviously uh, affected his, his his draft stock because all of, all of a sudden he's not two ninety, he's two seventy or something, you know. Um, but you know the name and not to say this this was what his track was, but the name that I kept hearing in comparison to RJ in terms of like the jump he could make from this year to next year had he come back was Bradley Chubb. Now, a lot of scouts that scout our school, obviously most NFL teams scout by region. So a lot of our Southeast scouts that scout South Florida also go visit NC State and watch those guys practice. And not that they thought that RJ might be a top five pick next year, although he had the ability to do so probably, but they but they were saying, you know, if Bradley Chubb had come out last year, he would have been, depending on, you know, how he tested and whatnot, you know, a second or third round pick, and he came back and really played, had a phenomenal senior year, and played himself to be a top ten pick. They saw similar a, a, a similar ascension possibility for RJ, where you know, he's a fourth or fifth round pick this year. He could have jumped up two rounds and been a second round or even maybe a late round first pick. Had he come back, and obviously coming back, part of that is also the production. Where, where, where Bradley Chubb had just come back and become a top ten pick. He dominated games as a passer for this year. You know, and that's obviously what RJ would have had to have done. But he has the ability to do so. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, you know, you could argue that, you know, he, he left some money on the table. But at the same time, he's now a year closer to getting to that, you know, coveted second contract. You know, if he gets hurt this year, he's obviously getting, he's being paid to get hurt, not like, you know, he would be in college. So, there, so there's some back and forth, but you can make the argument either way and win it either way, you know, in reality. You know, it's interesting you brought up NC State, and the Giants actually drafted Bradley Chubb's teammate, B.J. Hill, earlier in the draft. And, you know, you mentioned a little bit about R.J. as an individual. How do you think he's going to embrace the fact that he's got a fellow young defensive lineman that he'll be competing with in B.J. Hill, and he's got veterans in front of him in Snacks Harrison as well as Dalvin Tomlinson out of Alabama? How much of a competitive fire did you see in him during his tenure at Miami? I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be a little bit sponge. And he'll try and learn as much as he possibly can from everyone around him, peers, veterans, other rookies. You know, um, and but but I'll say this: when when our staff turned over uh, and, and our new staff got here and we got here at, going into the 2016 season, so the spring of 2016, RJ had not really played a down of meaningful defensive line. Uh, we didn't know if he was an end or a tackle, you know. We, we didn't know what we had with RJ. Um, and in all reality, I don't know that he was necessarily the favorite to win the starting or one of the starting the tackle jobs um, because we had returning guys that had played a lot more than RJ, had, had been, been, been more productive, they had more experience. And because of his competitive fire, because of how good a player he was, how talented he was, and also how well he listened and applied what he was being taught to practice reps and to game reps, he won the job, and not only won the job, but separated himself from the pack pretty, pretty concisely. So I'd be surprised if we didn't see something similar to that once, you know, he gets his feet wet in training camp up there in New York. Well, I think it's always important, to, you know, when you have these rookies that come in and they are they're the man or, they're, you know, they're starters in, in college, uh, they get a little bit humbled, but sometimes they, 
they don't get a little bit humble, then they think that they can be all of that. And I think that the character issues that you find with a lot of these players are issues. But I don't think it's going to be an issue with Mr. McIntosh here, and I think that he's going to have a great future here. As long as he's, if he's anything that that uh, Joel that you have talked about him he's going to be fine and he'll fit in well um the giants are an organization where they they really depend on high character guys smart guys guys that are workers dave gettleman the new general manager here has 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 defined the guys that he wants in the locker room as as guys that hate to lose you know and, and, and miami has that mentality of, of the hating to lose we know that but they also want guys that have are, are of high character and, and have um book smarts not along and along with game smarts and on the field stuff so he will fit in here perfectly and we wish him the best of luck and it is sure surely nice to have him and again i love the miami pick we got to have the <laughs> that, that assures me that the draft was successful so um and then one other thing i wanted to ask you joel so i, I was telling uh lance my partner here um and by the way lance and i do the pre and the post game show together for the giants all year so he truly is my partner um and he has followed the, the hurricanes very closely now that zach is on the team Tell us a little bit about this turnover chain and how you how you fit into the equation with uh, opening and closing that <laughs> that that case. And I just want because I've never heard it, so I'd like to hear it from you. Well, the, the whole thing started back in I, I forget if it was right before or right either it was right before training camp started or maybe during training camp. And one of the things that we identified as an issue um, that helped us back to being more successful that we could have been on defense in 2016 was, you know, yeah, we, we were great against, we were good against the run. We, we did some good things, you know, in the, in the pass rush game and pass turnovers and whatnot, but we did not capitalize on turnovers. We didn't force up turnovers. We didn't stop the ball enough times. We didn't get our hand on enough balls, whether it be forced fumbles or interceptions or tip balls or whatever it was. And obviously, you know, like anything else, right, if you get guys excited about doing things, then it, it, it becomes infectious, right? So we wanted to get our guys Excited about, like for example, like when we first took over in, 20, in 2016, we had to revamp the defense and get him excited about tackling again. And we changed where we tackle. We did the rugby tackle that the Seahawks are doing, and Coach Diaz is kind of a guru with that now. And we got our defense excited about tackling again, which wasn't the case before. So how do we take that same kind of thought process into turnovers? And and you know we other teams have you know the, the championship belts and other props they use, but you know we wanted something that kind of spoke to. Our program, our fans, our players, you know, because Miami's, kind of, Miami's is, it's, its own thing. It really is. And for the people that haven't been around it enough, it's, it's very unique because we're a pro sports town that has fallen in love with this college program, but it's, but most of our fans aren't alums. They didn't, they didn't attend the university. Um, they're just Miami fans, right? So there's a certain swagger and a certain kind of feel to South Florida. And I'm a native South Florida, so I feel the same way. So how do we kind of like get buy-in from our players, from our fans? It's just kind of so we kind of were brainstorming in a different staff room. And actually, our quarterbacks coach Mike Rupp, who also played at Miami, was also a South Florida guy. At the idea of hey, how about a big ass chain? You know, <laughs> and it was it was kind of laughed at at first. But the more we kind of started kind of like brainstorming and spitballing the idea around and kind of adding to it, like that that'd be pretty cool. Actually, have a really big gaudy like you know human link chain with a with, with stones and colors and you know would it, would it be the u would it be a football would it be a you know a helmet would it be this? you know so and then well, luckily for us we have aj the jeweler down here who's kind of a famous jeweler to you know to pro athletes and 
and and music musicians and actors and whatnot, and we kind of he's been a big supporter of the fan and and, and, and our players in the past, and we kind of he, he designed it for us and and the whole nine. So we it's funny because we carried around in this like small little briefcase. It's almost and, and it's almost like a like like a it's really Coach Diaz's uh, humidifier. Really what it is, but it looks like a little gun case almost. And 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 the first time we, we, we finally got our hands on it and saw it as a D staff, maybe like a day or two, well, maybe two or three days before the opener. And we we're like, oh my god, this is crazy! Is, is this? It's it's so it's, it's so, so big gaudy. and gaudy. It's, so, it's, so it's, it's, it's perfect, right? So we hold it in this case, and we have one of our last defensive meetings before we hit the bus to go play with them in the opener. And Coach Diaz brings this case into the into the, the, the defensive meeting room, and the player's like, "What the hell is like? What is he going to shoot us? Like, what is happening right now?" Yeah, right. And he opens the and he opens the case, and literally, it's like Pulp Fiction, like, like gold glow yeah. out of the briefcase, and no one knows what it is. Right. That's kind of what it looked like in the, in, the back, in the back of the room, and the players in, in the front row can see it right away, and they all start jumping up and down, screaming, "Who's hollering?" And then everyone else stands up and runs around because they want to see what it is, you know. And he explains to them that, you know, whoever brings the ball back after a turnover is going to get to where the chain and, and a big deal. And, and it's funny because the guys were so amped up for it. If you go back and watch that with the Cookman game, we actually dropped two interceptions, like fumbled around a forced fumble. Like we, we, we left three turnovers in the first half, of the first three quarters on the field. And, I, and, and we're running back and forth, and everyone's like, all excited. I can't wait for the, the, the chain to come out. And then finally we get an interception in the fourth quarter. I think it was Malik Young who hit the first interception. And uh, and the, and that's when the chain kind of made its its national appearance. And then it kind of obviously, when you play good defense, you have good players, you get more lot of turnovers. So it, it, it kind of grew like wildfire from that point. Now, how did we decide that I'd be the one that would go yeah, grab it? Yeah, that's what I wanted. I guess throw, throw it on someone. Really, it was like, okay, well, like who who on our staff is freed up enough that when that happens, can run over to the back of the bench? <laughs> oh, I got you. Okay, there we go. Up, Without having to be involved in sub packages or sure. getting guys on the field or, or yeah. charting, whatever, so it was almost more of a, a process of elimination. You know what I mean? And um, I am happy to say that I will not be doing it this year, but we do have someone with him who really is okay. really special who will be doing it. But I'll, I'll wait until the fall to let that kind of be. So the turn the turnover chain is coming back, right? So that's what I've been told. The chain, the, the chain is back. Nice. Okay. Uh, good. The same parameters. Very good. Just, just, just nice. the person, the person who's delivering it will be different. Thank God. Awesome. <laughs> so there's turnover with respect to who is the in turnover charge of chain. The turnover yeah, chain. Yeah, that's I mean, okay. They, yes, I'm, yes, I'm just, exactly. yeah, I'm just yes, glad, exactly. Joel, that you broke the news here on Giants.com. That's right. I mean, how about this development? It's just, for, forget that's, R.J. McIntosh. That's, that's what we do here. That's what we do. Yeah. And for we some, know about the turnover <laughs> chain. And, and as you can tell, Joel, is like anytime I can get my little time in for Miami I do I do and they all hate it but I, I, no, I no, if they give me a, if you give me an inch I take a yard right so that's okay I'm gonna get it all in it. but but that's that's the beauty about it is that we've got a we got a hurricane on the on the the Giants this year and and he's gonna do well for us and we appreciate you spending some time with us this morning and and good luck with uh, recruiting and all that good stuff and uh, the best of luck to the to the Hurricanes and Joel. I'll see you down there uh, when I see you. Absolutely, and Joel. The, the only thing I'll add is the next time Jeff's down there, just make sure we lay out the red carpet and, and give him <laughs> top notch in, in terms of breakfast, the whole nine yards. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. I, I just want to make sure. Nah, I'm fine with sitting back and just yeah, that's okay. 
what we'll do is, is, is like when we have a, we have a big time blue chip recruit compass to campus, we have a little dossier with a headshot and everything with all this information. Okay. We make sure that everyone, the staff and everyone in the building knows who this person is, who his mom is, who's going to be with them, what the salient points are for conversation. So we'll do this from now on. We'll have all of our players know exactly who Jeff is. Absolutely. His time, his experience. That way, that, that way what happened with RJ never happens again. That, I like to hear that. Well, Absolutely. I'm just, I'm just, I'm more importantly, I'm just hoping that Zach's teammates know who he is. That would be more that important to me good. at this point. <laughs> That'd be a step in the right direction. Yeah, forget about his dad. I just want to take care of Zach, and he knows that the other guys in the team know who he is. Just make sure you know who's giving you favorable field position, okay? Just know that. Well, Joel Rodriguez, Miami football director of player development for the defense. Joel, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks for having a few good laughs with us. Thank you, Joel. Okay, buddy. Take care. You got it. All right. So there is a look at R.J. McIntosh and what he'll bring to the table as well. And, as and the I'm excited about him. Miami, Miami football. I, I think that he's going to fit into that three-four defense. I, I think it'll be fine. Um, he's. It, I remember uh, there was the first game that I really had noticed him. It, like I mean, really noticed. Like, and Joel was talking about he doesn't get credit for a lot of the statistics, but yeah. being pressure on and getting in the backfield, he has got a very quick first step off the ball. Okay, so as a defensive end or even an interior defensive lineman at, um, playing that three technique and the three four, that's a great thing for you to have. He's got that, and so that's going to be very valuable for him. Um, it was in the Notre Dame game is when the, when I when I had when I had really had like, like who is this guy? Yeah. Miami, and, yeah, and and it was up against Quentin Nelson. Yeah. So he played against you know against him that game, and then there was a couple other games. In fact, I don't know if any of you saw it, but um, one of the one of the great highlights for McIntosh was that he he ended up getting a, getting one of his five sacks, I guess, and he had the 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 player's leg was there, and he was playing it like a banjo. <laughs> I remember that actually. Now, now <laughs> you know, we're a guitar, two together. Yeah. yeah, that was that was that was McIntosh. So, um, <laughs> but you know, more importantly, we, he talked about. Good family he comes from, a good worker, good character. Those are the kind of guys that Dave Gettleman wants on this team. And you look from start to finish at this draft, you go through them, they're all there. You got Saquon Barkley starting, leading it off. I mean, what a, you couldn't ask for a better talent, a better guy. You know, he checks all the boxes. And I think that that's one thing that Dave Gettleman tried to do with this draft. And he certainly got it with, uh, with DJ, so it's good. Well, it reminds me of, Jeff, if you RJ, remember me. a few drafts ago, remember all the Giants were drafting were captains, team captains. Yeah, remember, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, a team. yeah, yeah. Everybody yep. had experience in terms of leadership, and right. part of the mindset was that you'll have you hope. a strong presence, correct? And right. It doesn't always turn out that way, but yep. that was at least the mindset, so you can see there's a similar theme in terms of this year's draft class. I think what's impressive is when we look at some of these star prospects from big-time schools like Miami, you think that you know these players are coming in with decades worth of experience, oh. and then what you hear from what Joel said, I mean, yeah. RJ's barely tapped into his potential. We're talking about, I mean, he started all 13 games in each of the last two seasons. Freshman year, he only played in five. As Joel said, he was mainly a special teamer. So, I mean, you're talking about it's still a very small sample size for him. A lot of, a lot of upside. A lot, yeah. lot to learn. Yeah. And, and for a guy that if you say that, you know, he started his freshman year and he played three full seasons and he played a two-technique tackle, and now he's coming into a 3-4 defense maybe that might not be as good but now because he hasn't played all that much it's not going to be that big of an adjustment obviously he's very very athletic if he played tight end and he was a basketball player and that kind of stuff he's very very athletic that's the type of player you want in this defense of a guy like this that can just go you know and rush the passer and make some plays so it's important it'll be good for him 
Absolutely. And in high school, they even used him as the quarterback on goal line plays. So <laughs> that just speaks volumes of his versatility. Not that he's coming in to replace Elon Manning, but just wanted to throw that little tidbit out. All right, we're going to get to some of the undrafted free agents that the Giants signed, 11 in total, as rookie minicamp gets underway today. But let's open up the phone lines. I know a lot of you have been waiting patiently. 201-939-4513. Jason is in Maine. He gets us going. How's everything, Jason? All right, Jason. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. How are you? Happy Friday. Yes, you too. Uh, that's pretty much what I wanted to ask. Well, there are two things, but the first thing was just out of those 14 players, I'm wondering if there's any of them that uh, stick out to you guys. Like, do you think that uh, some of those players, uh, maybe you expected them uh, to be drafted and weren't? Do you think there's some dark horses there for us? Well, I, I, I'm going to defer to uh, to Lance on this one. These guys went through, you know, a lot of these guys – before the draft <laughs> I mean they were here a lot more than I was um, one guy that I did see and I just looking on here this wide receiver from Bethune Cookman when Miami actually played Bethune Cookman last year the first game of the season um, I had I had went to that game and um, their quarterback and this guy they they were there was something else, this receiver. So, I mean, this guy might be a guy, and we're talking about a little bit of depth. If I look at this offense for the Giants, there's there's a lot of still a lot of questions in my mind to be asked other than Odell Beckham. I mean, when you and maybe uh, Eli Manning, but really there is some questions to oh, ask yeah, about absolutely. Eli Manning, okay? But so at depth, that wide receiver is one of them. They got to have some guys, some depth there. So maybe this guy, um, what is it, Joel Davis? Is that his name? Joel Davis, yeah, yeah, from from Bethune Cookman. Listen, for all that you don't, all the guys that are here, it's gonna be very difficult for any of these guys to make the team. They're here to to, to impress somebody, especially in this in this little mini camp that they have going. But more importantly, when they leave this mini camp. If you do well in this minicamp is when you will be invited back to go into the OTAs and into training camp. Other than that, none of these guys, they'll, they'll go on and they'll just be, you know, trying to, to fill a spot somewhere else. So it's very important in here. But, uh, Lance, maybe you might know some, some other guys in here that I don't know. Well, the other guy that I'll throw out that jumps out to me is Tyler Howell, the tackle out of Missouri. I mean, first of all, he's 6'8", 300 pounds. So that jumps off immediately. But – what people, I think, didn't necessarily realize, because Missouri has been a notable school here or there, depending on some of the defensive players, but they were very good as an offensive line in terms of giving up the least amount of tackles for a loss mm. in the nation we're talking about. And he was the anchor at the left tackle spot. And, you know, I think the Giants are still looking for players that could potentially move over to the right to compete for the starting right tackle job, as well as provide depth at left tackle. So he, to me is a player that I find the most intriguing of these 11 that they signed because I think there's a legitimate shot that he could very well come in, compete, make a name for himself, and perhaps compete for a roster spot. So that would be one of the names to me. There's that another guy here. Uh, Nick, is, I don't have my glasses on. Nick Gates. Nick Gates. Guard out of Nebraska. 6'5", 295 out of Nebraska. He started all 35 games in which he played before deciding to join the NFL. There's a guy with durability, size, Big come big program. Some that might be some guy that you looked at that that could possibly be added to the roster for some depth and compete in training camp. So, um, yeah. So there's there, there's a lot of a lot of you know these are the the guys that they signed um, recently. I know you said there was 14, and we're aware that 11 of them have been signed. I don't well, know. If... Three rookies were signed. So I believe Jason, that's what you were referring to. 14 in total, meaning three drafted rookies and then 11 yeah. undrafted free okay. agents. So that's gotcha. how we got the 14. Yep. Perfect. Okay. I'm wondering, too, like, how does that 
do, do they get a good amount of time to look at these guys? Like, there's so many guys to look at. Do they do they actually get to play in the pads at times? And are there are the giant scouts still going to be watching the practices, or is it up to the coaches now who comes on? How does that all work? Well, it's it, they're not in pads. Um, they're they're you know they're barely they're out there in helmets and running around and you know but uh, there's no contact in these things. It's just the way that the CBA has it set up. But yeah, they are get they're getting to watch them. And more importantly, there's a lot of evaluation going on behind the scenes, other than what's just on the field. These coaches are trying to. They're getting a small sample of a playbook. They're being asked to learn the plays. They're being asked to go to meetings apply what we're giving you in meetings and then take it out to the football field and see how you can how it can correlate and go back and forth. That's one thing they're looking. They're looking at how these guys are, you know, in, in meetings and how they're paying attention and how they're on time. There's all kinds of stuff to, to go into this. Um, but bottom line, when it all comes down to it, to be honest with you, is can the guy make plays? Can he play football? Is he fast enough? Does he have the skill set to play his position? If, if he does, then he's got a chance. The fact of the matter is, people, is that this is a very, very hard game to get into, and you've got to be really, really good to make it. And most of these guys that are here, unfortunately, aren't going to make it. But I will tell you that I played 22 years in the NFL. I was one of these guys. I came into a rookie minicamp, and I ended up making it. A guy like Rich Soybert. Um, there's, there are people that will that can make it. It's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time and then showing up and, and being good at what you do. Yeah, I would okay. agree with, with Jeff there in terms of the opportunity to really show your physicality over rookie minicamp is limited. So it's really the smarts and the classroom stuff that I think enables some of these players to stand out. And the other thing, Jason, remember, you know, as far as the scouting department and the coaching staff, they got to put together a practice squad once they finalize the 53-man roster. And they also need to stay on top of players because when injuries occur during the season, you may pick up the phone immediately and say, hey, you know what, we remember seeing him in rookie minicamp. We may now want to boost him up to the practice squad or perhaps give him a shot on the roster. So you're always evaluating players even if the chances of them making the 53 are extremely slim. That's why they bring in players to try out every week, usually on Tuesdays, Jeff, during the course of the regular season. They just want to keep... Up to date they have a short list and a yeah. long list. Exactly. And let me tell you, last year, they went pretty far down well, on that list. Because, I mean, <laughs> you look at the last three games of the season last year, the flip card on game day, we had no idea what, who was who these people were. I mean, a number. Remember, I was looking no, at these I going, remember, Lance, who, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah, naming, <laughs> listing the inactives, I remember, for those last few games was not necessarily something I was looking forward to. <laughs> Okay, yeah. well, thank you yeah. very much, guys. You thank got it, you. Jason. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. All right, let's head back to the lines. we got Marco in Connecticut. Marco, what's happening? Hey, guys. How are you today? Wonderful. Doing very well, Marco. What do you got? All right, good Good to be with you. I have two questions. Um, one question is about Will Hernandez. I wanted to get your um, just your quick take on this. Do you guys have any concern? Um, I know second-round pick, great player. I was pumped up to get him. I didn't think he would be there in the second round, but – do you have any concern that, like, we're really counting on him to be uh, a great player right off from the start? And for him to come from a program like UTEP where they didn't win a game and he's going to come into this big, huge spotlight, uh, what do you think that transition is going to look like for him? I mean, is he a raw player? Um, because I- I've-, I've heard some comparisons to, like, Chris Snee, not only because of the draft pick, but also, or the draft slot, but um, type of player. But, I mean, Snee came from such a big program, and he seemed to be technically super sound. 
So, I mean, how technical is this guy, and do you think he can make that jump? I, I, I believe he can make the jump. I don't believe that they would have drafted him where they did if they didn't think he could right away. Because there, this is a need pick. This was a definite need pick. Um, there is a lot to learn. But one good thing about drafting a guard is you have you have help on both sides of you. And I think that it's a little bit different than drafting a left tackle or a right tackle, for that matter, is that he can kind of get a little bit of help from that tackle position and, and that center position. Um, the uh, Coach Hunter, who is the offensive line coach here, uh, great, great coach, is going to be able to work with this young man. He's a mauler. And he's the kind of guy that Dave Dave Gellerman wanted, and I think his size sometimes will be able to get him through some things that that he needs to work on. But he, he he'll be fine. He's going to be a starter. Yeah, I would agree right. with Jeff. The other thing that I'll add, Marco, is you know you threw out the fact that he did go zero and thirteen with UTEP. I personally would think it's much more challenging for a player who comes from a lot of winning. And then all of a sudden you go to a team where now it's a wake-up call like last season where a lot of these college prospects, you know, they were with winning programs and now you only win three games. That to me is more of a rude awakening than a player who hasn't really won much of anything and now he's going into a new culture. I I don't think that's going to be an issue because when Dave Gettleman spoke to the media, if you remember, after they made the pick, one of the things they said that jumped out to them about Will Hernandez was 12th game of the season, 13th game of the season – how much motivation do you think those UTEP <laughs> players had to go out there? It's basically, yeah. let's just yeah. go through it, let's finish up the season, yeah. right? And Gettleman said what the scouts and he saw was a guy that was still just going out there. Going. He just was competing as if it was the championship game. Right. And they love that Good about point. him. And yeah. look, and look, what, look what that did for him. It got him to be a second-round draft pick, a go. high second round, yeah. which was basically you know almost a first round because the Giants picked him with the second overall pick in the second round. Yeah. Good point. No, thanks, guys. I, I appreciate that. I, I've, I've been curious about that because I am is super excited about him. He's probably like one of my favorite players in the class, but um, just kind of had that like lingering thought. Um, all right. Next question is about the um, the league itself, and I, I know you both are kind of in tune on what's going on around the league. Like a lot of rosters are, are pretty much set now after free agency and the draft. I'm looking at the NFC, and I think the Giants are going, like, no doubt are going to be better than three wins what they were last year. And some of the projections were, like, six wins. I think Vegas had them at, like, six and a half. I think they're going to be better than that. But if we're talking about, like, win now and even getting in the playoffs, you're really looking at anywhere between nine and at maybe 12 games, right, they have to win. Like, 11 games doesn't always guarantee, depending on the division. But if I'm looking at the NFC, I just went through this when I was on hold. There's like seven teams, I think, that you can make a legit case that they could win the Super Bowl. And seven teams, right? I went through like Green Bay, Minnesota, uh, Atlanta, Carolina, New Orleans, the Eagles, the Rams. That's seven good teams. And I'm thinking about the Giants. I'm like, man, who's the team that that we all think that are going to be a really good contender? Like people thought the Giants were going to be a contender last year and they fell apart. Who's the team that's gonna that we think are gonna be a contender that are going to drop back and and have a team like the Giants kind of surge through? Because there's other teams you can make arguments for that are going to be in playoff contention that I didn't list. Um it's really difficult, man, in the NFC. Not yeah, there's say, a lot like, of depth. The, the Giants the Giants don't have their own challenges. Right? Well, to your point, listen, the wild card team, you needed ten wins to get a wild card last year. That was the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. 
So if you needed 10 last year, and, and all the teams you named, I don't disagree with you. I, I think they're all coming back pretty much just as strong, if not better, than they were last season. But you know, here's the other factor, Marco, that we can't overlook. Somebody's going to suffer injuries that we mm. never expected. And it could very well be one of those seven teams, and all of a sudden that drops a team off. Because if you don't have an overwhelming amount of depth, and the Giants were tested in this department last season, it's hard to sustain consistency from one game to another. So it happens every year. Somebody's going to be struck by the injury bug, and it's probably going to be a team that we never anticipated, and we're going to realize, you know, now they got to replace a guy on the defensive line. Now they got to replace a corner, and there's a significant drop-off when you remove a pro bowler from the mix. So that's the one thing that always tends to happen, and I guarantee you there's going to be a team that's going to fall in that category. This well, year. a perfect example of that is the Packers last year with yeah, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers going there. Right. So, you know, that that could, they were they were contended, right, to come off and then all of a sudden he gets hurt. And so, you know, injuries are all part of the game, and they un- unexpectedly happen. When I look at this NFC East, I think that every single team had, had, had got better. I think the Eagles, listen, even though they, they, I don't think they got worse. I mean, I, I, they got a lot of guys coming back. They lost some guys. But the fact of the matter is this division all in all got better, and it's going to be a beat-up beat up each team league this year. So, will you know, will 10 or 11 wins take the division this year probably in my opinion you know i mean look at philadelphia won it with 13 last year the next closest was dallas at nine Yeah, they were four games ahead of the cowboys i don't think and and jeff jeff just just to your point and i'll jump off after this think about dallas if they don't lose zeke elliott for four games and 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 Mm -hmm. you have so you'll have zeke right now let's let's put injuries to the side you have zeke coming back for a full season and potentially i hear carson wentz is doing much better, and Eagles went on and won without him. So, well, they uh, have Nick Foles anyway. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about. Thanks, guys. Good. You got it, you. Marco. Appreciate the phone Bye-bye. call. Thank you, Marco. Uh, this division always beats each other up, so I, I don't think this year is going to be unique. And here's the other thing, Jeff: the Redskins decide they don't want to re-sign. Kirk Cousins. They right. don't want to give him a long-term deal, and they wind up replacing him with another established veteran and Alex Smith. So you can't think that there's even going to be a significant drop-off with Washington, given the fact that they're bringing in a quarterback that's been in a variety of situations, and he's been able to thrive when he's had talent around him, which I think the Redskins will provide him. And like you said, you know, Ezekiel Elliott's going to be he's healthy. He's going yeah. to be playing again. And, and don't forget, the Giants, they, they were a bad team last year, but they were very, very... They... they they were hurt. That team was decimated with injuries last year. Um, and you just, if these guys can come back healthy, there's going to be injuries again. We know that. But the fact is they could be a lot better than three three wins. And, you know, six and a half, Vegas has them at six and a half. I don't know. You know, that's that's a that's a low number in my opinion. But I think that there's a little skepticism there because new coaching staff, you know, that what's the deal with Eli, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So we'll see how bad the defense was. And, and I will tell you that James Betcher – um, the more I, I talk to him about his defense, the more I get excited about how he's going to plug and play these guys. It's not going to be a every single day you're going to what these guys are going to come on the field and you're going to be like, well, there they are, they're in that three four defense again, and they're in that thing, you know, whatever it is, he changes it. He's like a chameleon. So his whole idea is to get the guys in the right positions and match up. So every game's going to be a little bit different, and I think you're going to be excited about this defense. The offense. Just has to play better. Has to be consistent. Has to shut. You know, no more. Try to cut down on the turnovers. Eli's got to have a little bit more protection. You got to get OBJ on the field, and you got to get some of these other receivers to catch the freaking ball. Last year, how many drops did the receivers for the Giants have? 
good God, it was every game. Self-inflicted wounds. Oh, my gosh. And then the penalties. So a lot of stuff to build on, but that's what Pat Shermer's here for, the new coach. I think a lot of the new coaching. One thing that Pat Shermer did, as we all know, is he went out and, and hired a staff of veteran coaches. These are a lot of guys that have been around a while that know how to coach. Hopefully that'll rub off onto this team coming up. Well, speaking of Shermer, he actually addressed the media before we came on, and I know Marco, our last caller, brought up Will Hernandez. He made it clear that Will Hernandez is going to start at left guard, which is where he primarily played in college, but they do plan on giving him some looks at right guard. Now, if they do plan on emphasizing the left guard position for him, Patrick Omame, who they signed in free agency from Jacksonville, you know, he was the left guard last year, but he started his career at right. So they're going to be interchanged at both of those spots. They always but are. To yep. start, it appears they're going to focus primarily at the left guard spot for Will Hernandez. That's at least what's going to happen in the early stages. And I am still a little bit up in the air with the right tackle position. I think everybody is, yeah. <laughs> I I I, I kind of seem to think that the right tackle for the Giants isn't here yet. Interesting. Okay. Um, well, you figure, before you go into that, Eric Flowers, Chad Wheeler, Adam Biznavati. Okay. That, to me, is the trio of competition, unless, obviously, some of these other undrafted tackles, which I said, Howell from Missouri, yeah. for example, maybe he emerges. But those are your three that you're primarily looking at. And, I, and, I, and then this was just a pure guess out of me. And I, I just, for some reason, I, you get kind of this little feeling sometimes. That, and, I, and I have to go back and look at who some of these higher-priced tackles are in the league that maybe could be coming after June 1st. You know, some of these guys that, um, yeah, I, I don't know. That I, they, may become available, you're saying. Yeah, I, I just don't well have, unless you want to unless you want to roll the dice with one of those young young guys with Wheeler and Biznavati. Did I say his name right? You said it perfectly. Holy smokes. There you go. I mean, that was 2018 right is going to be a great year. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you can handle Biznavati, then nothing no, else. i got to work on the new guy's name, the, the free agent we signed. But you just said his name. I'm not going to butcher it now, but the, 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 the guard. We, Oh, Hernandez. No, Rock. no, no. Uh, the the guy from Seattle. Oh, Omame. Omame. You talking about Patrick like, Omame like, from Jacksonville? Yeah. I'm going to say something that might hurt me later on, but it sounds like Edamame. <laughs> it does. It does have But that it's just feel. Mame? Yes. It's just Omame. Oh, Omame. Oh, Omame. Correct. Not yes. Edamame. Omame. No, Omame. Yes. I mean, that's easy. Yeah. I got that I, one. I, I yeah. think you could handle Business that. Business the other one. I mean, this is not like an Owo no, Diggy Zua. I will butcher names, man. I, I could <laughs> I open mean, up my own shop and butcher those things and people would be coming for them. I'm telling you right now. That, well, I'm gonna get you have that. concocted oh, a variety of different formations <laughs> no. when it comes to names. Before we get back to the phone lines at 201-939-4513, and this was something you were hitting on earlier, I recently did a radio interview, and I was asked this question, and I'm curious your perspective because it relates to what we were just talking about. If you looked at the Giants, because everybody wants to determine, are they a six-win team, a seven-win team? They were 3-13 and last year. They were 11-5 and two years ago. And somebody asked me, well, if you look at the Giants, which – are they closer to? Are they closer to the 11 and 5? Or are they closer to the 3 and 13? Now, my answer mm. was mm. if you go back and you look at that 11 and 5 team, Jeff, remember how many games did they win by their chinny chin chin? Oh, and how many games did it, the defense win for them? Correct, exactly. So, not to take anything away from that 11 and 5 season, is as Bill Parcell says, hey, you are what your record is. But I didn't think that was a dominant 11 and 5. I mean, no, it could it have easily been 8 and 8, could have been 7 and 9. So I said, I always thought this team was pretty much in the middle of those two records. I don't think they're that close to 11 and 5, and I don't think they're extremely close to 3 and 13 because think about all the close games they played before 
all the injuries set in, right, in right. week five against the Chargers, you know, if they're fully healthy, it doesn't mean that they're going to run away with a playoff berth, but you figure they're good enough Seven, eight to be that 500 type of team. So that's where my feeling has always been. Even after the 11-5 and five season, I think it's more in that 7-8 win barometer as opposed to the two extremes. Well, I think the the Vegas line is giving you six and a half, so that's kind of which kinda I think going is fair. I mean, it's going maybe a little bit on the low side, but I, I still. But don't, if you added one game to that, that gets you at seven yeah, and a half. So, I mean, I so don't that's think that about, about is I, I would say that they're the closer to the to the to the less than the than the more. Yeah. Um, and I think that that number is you know is going to be if I I think it's going to be, you know, right at the seven and a half to eight eight mark in my opinion. Um. In order for them, to, and I'll say this: in order for them to get over the set, nobody wins seven and a half games. By the way, but my fact is just for betting purposes. <laughs> well, that's Vegas for you. But I, yeah. I think that if to get to get to that over eight games, the, there's going to have a couple things going to have to happen. Now, number one, first and foremost, Eli has got to play well. Okay, I think that that's the first thing in my mind. Okay, um, number two. The health of this team has con- has to continue to get better, and it cannot be decimated like it did last year. Okay, to win to, to get over the eight games. Um, the other one is is I think that that Saquon Barkley, okay, um, and some of these other younger players, meaning, and I'm going to put OBJ in there. These guys have got to we got to get OBJ on the field. He's going to have to be on. He's going to have to be on the field and stay on the field. They can get over eight games if those things can happen. Number two, the two biggest things for me is Eli Manning and the health of this team. No, I think those are fair. I would agree. I'd take it just a, a step further where my two X factors are the run game. I, I mean, th- there has well, to be. it's been addressed. There has to be consistency. I, I'm not talking about a flash, Jeff. No, I'm every week. I'm talking about every week you go in, hey, we know we can get this on paper. That well, has I, to be. I think that when you look at the dynamics of this roster and what Dave Gettleman has done, it pretty much is writing, right, saying to you that we are going to commit to the run. We're going to play the run. We got, we, we, we've got two, Nate Solder, and we've got Will Hernandez, the second round draft pick, and we put the, the number two pick in the NFL draft on a running back. Okay? We're going to run the football. And we're going to run it with number 26, Saquon Barkley, and we're going to make you stop him. And when you stop him, we'll just go to OBJ or we'll go to the other guys. Okay? And we'll go to, to Ingram. A lot of other opportunities there in the in the in the in the offensive game plan, but you got to be able to run the football first, and that's just NFL football one hundred and one. Run the football, and then the other thing I'll add is something in your own backyard. I think special teams. Oh my goodness! Special you know, teams we, we has don't, to show consistency. We don't have enough time to talk position. about that, but the fact but, is, yes, this is it's very important that this team was horrendous last year, and 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 because. The bottom line with special teams, guys, is that you have a, if your team is healthy, your your players can play on special teams that they're, that are that they're there every week. When you have guys that are not healthy and you're taking guys out the practice squad, these guys they don't know how to play special teams. They really don't. And they're the ones that you're playing. Yeah. Tom Quinn was ta- was taking guys basically in a UPS uniform <laughs> and bringing them in here and asking them <laughs> no, to cover kickoffs. Yeah, he doesn't know how to cover kickoffs. I mean, it, it's just and it was it was a very bad situation. But that has to get better. And the kicking game definitely needs the punting game. And, uh, you know, they go out and get the kid from Denver. And then, and then Aldrich Rosas, he's going to have to have a, you know, a sophomore season to come out and do well. I mean, you can't – if there's ever a year of, for him to miss field goals, it was last year. It was kind of a – you know, the, the whole season was a – it was just – Not a lot of writing on yeah. those last – But now he's going to have to come out and, and prove himself again. 
Let's head back to lines 201-939-4513. Chris is in Syracuse. Chris, what's happening? Hey, how's it going? Doing hey, right, Chris. Chris. What do you got for us? Good. Um, I wanted to talk to Jeff specifically because um, earlier on in the offseason, if I was understanding what I was hearing correctly, um, it seemed like you were pretty adamant that you thought Eli would be gone in 2019. Um, And I was just curious, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while about that, if you were looking at cap situation and the big contracts that are coming up, and that's why you were thinking that. And then have your opinions on that changed since the draft if uh, Eli plays well next year? Um, I guess I'm just kind of looking for sure. Well, I, I, on that. I, I'm I'm the 19. The number is is I, I'm Eli has to play. It's one at a, it's one year at a time for Eli Manning, and I think that that he will play better this year. The, the whole thing with the salary cap, you can create money somehow, some ways. You always can. You, you got OV, you got a lot of these other guys that you can restructure contracts with and things like that. So that if Eli did play well, and you hope he does, and that they bring him back for a 2019, which is, which by the way, I think that's his last year of his it contract. Is. Yep. Um, yes, it is. Then, then you, you, you could be okay. Okay. But it's a one year, trial here with Eli Manning in my opinion I think that they've got these two quarterbacks now with with Davis Webb and Loletta that they're going to let these guys compete and see what they can do um, but for a Giants fan you hope that Eli Manning continues to play well because you got the money to pay him um, but I do think that there is a way to find money if you have to and one being for but listen that number one three is going to have a lot of lot to say about this coming up with the money and the Giants. If we've we've been reading this stuff, you know, there's really no pressing issue. He's under contract and they have to he has to play, you know. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, hopefully that answers your question. I don't know. No, that that kind of clears up where where okay. you're where you were thinking. I guess I'm I'm thinking that um, Eli. I look back to like 2015 and he threw 4,500 yards, 35 touchdowns. I don't think he's that far removed from that. I look at like Foles. And if you look at, like, when he went to the Rams, it was a disaster. When he went to Kansas City, nothing happened. I think that there's a lot to do with team and scheme. Oh, without a doubt. And, I, yeah. and you know, and I, that's where I'm at with Eli. I'm really hoping because if not, then uh, if, if, if he is actually struggling and is more in decline than I think he is, it would show up even more this year. Correct. Assuming Correct. everybody stays healthy and everything. And one quick thing I want to say for a hop off: Who is the corner that kind of came out of nowhere last year and was doing pretty well at the end of the season? Is that Dixon? No. Well, I, th- I think yeah, Ross Cockrell may be the guy that you're referring to, the one they acquired from the Steelers right before no, they finalized know, the 53. No, it was a younger guy, guy? I know Cockrell. It was the guy he went one-on-one with Dez late in the season. Um oh, I, I'd have to go back and look. Yeah. He so would we. really yeah. – <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure. He went one-on-one with Des when we played the Cowboys late in the season. Well, here's the thing. He is, he, is he still on the roster, though, in your mind? That's because remember, they've had a lot of turnovers. Yeah. If that's that Dixon guy, I'm, I'm not sure. Like you guys are saying, the, the flip well, card Brandon there was Dixon, really hard to follow. Yeah, Brandon Dixon is still on the roster. So, I mean, you could very well be referring to that. You may not be wrong. It, it, it's just the, yeah. the one guy that jumps out to me is Ross Cockrell. If you were to ask me, who do, who do I think played most consistently at the cornerback position, Cockrell, to me, tops the list. You know, Dixon, I okay. thought, had his flashes, but he may be the guy that you're referring to against Dez. I have to go back and watch I, the I think film it is. That. I think it's Brandon Dixon that you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah and, and who is this guy? Is that guy, I mean, has he been around a while? No, thought, he's a second-year yeah. player from North Missouri State. Northwest Missouri State. Northwest yeah. Missouri State. 
to a very young guy. Might be a dark yeah. horse. Might yeah, you never know. He could. No, swaggers. listen. It, the, the thing about him is he's got a leg up because, you know, he was with the team last year. I understand it's a new coaching staff, but, you know, he's gone up against some of these guys in practice. So I wouldn't dismiss him from the mix. They're looking for depth in that department. Well, they certainly got it. They've got about 35 TVs right now. <laughs> it seems like they sign a quarter <laughs> every single day. But, you know what, speaking of that, and, and we're going to let you go on that note, Chris. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Chris. Thanks. Yep. Thanks so much for weighing Bye-bye. in. Everybody's trying to determine, well, you know, who's going to be that third cornerback. Because, you know, you have Janoris Jenkins and you hope that Eli Apple bounces back with DRC not in the mix. To me, William Gay, who they signed in the offseason. Jeff, we're talking about a player that's been in the league 12 years. Everybody else is not even close. So if you're looking for a front runner, William Gay. He can play. I mean, he's got to be looking around the room right now. And, I mean, he could be their father. That, that, that's how much more experience he has. And he can compared. play. And he can. He's been, he can play. He's been yep. with the Steelers for a variety of different situations. He's with the Veterans. Cardinals a little bit. Polished vet. Also can play in the slot, which is, to me, where they need a guy, considering DRC's not here. I mean, that is the guy that I'm banking on that's going to win that job. I, I would imagine so, yeah. I mean, um, he's he's got all the experience, okay? Um, and what I, what I think that he's here for is that what happens if, he all, all of a sudden slides into the number two corner spot. And Eli Apple takes a step back into the third corner. So, you know, I think you can you, you no, see fair. him being a starter yeah. if, if he worked into it by by default probably. But, you know, we'll see what happens there. No, I, I think you bring up an excellent point. I, I'd even add to it, Jeff, if game moves to the second spot and that maybe means they're not as confident or somebody gets hurt, I'm more interested to see who's the fourth corner. Yeah, who's I, the guy? That's that then a bigger stepped, question to me. That to me is yeah. bigger than the third. Yeah. I think Gate. And could I be couldn't the even. Third. I mean, we could go through and look at the cornerbacks here, and it, it's you just, got a variety you know, of guys. Um, I mean, choose whoever you want. Curtis Riley was added in free agency from Tennessee. B.W. Webb is another <laughs> free agent they added. He didn't even play in the league. I mean, he was on a team. Excuse me, he didn't get in at the cornerback spot. Teddy Williams, former Panther, he's got ties to Dave Gettleman. You know, that's another option. So, you know, they brought in bodies, but the question is, until we see them on the field in action, who's been showcasing some consistency? So that's the big thing. All right, I want to squeeze in one more phone call here, and that is Pete on Staten Island. Pete, what's happening? Hi, Pete. Hey, guys. Good afternoon. How are you? Doing well, Pete. What do you got for us? Um, I wanted to talk well, about a couple of things. First off, Jeff, um, it's an honor to talk to you. Thank you, Pete. Um, oh, you're welcome. Um, first thing, let me ask you a question, Jeff. Um, will you and are you going to be helping with whoever the new punter might be this year? Is uh, that a possibility? Well, I will I or why you didn't help out with Brad Wing last year? You might have. I oh, didn't hear about it. But, oh, I, I um, do. I help out with all of them. It's whether they, they actually listen to me is another thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. All right. And so. my, my, my other thing is, uh, you know, and I don't know why they wouldn't listen to you. I don't get that. I me mean, either. I don't get it. That That's just yeah. stunning to me as well. I, yeah. I don't know why they wouldn't listen to Jeff Eagles. Yes. <laughs> I have no idea, but a lot of them don't. Trust me. Okay. And the second thing is, you know, I've been reading a lot of stuff, and the other day I was reading with Harry Carson, you know, say, talking about Saquon, and he expects him uh, he, he expects him to be a Hall of Fame player. And Jesus, God Almighty, how much pressure is on this poor kid already? Well, you know, the, how much pressure is on every first-round draft insane. pick? Every first-round well, draft pick is going to have that type of pressure, Pete. So I think that if there's, it's, you have to look at the person. And I think of, of, of all the guys, he probably can handle it. I mean, he's just a, the guy is just an, an amazing athlete. He's an amazing player. And I think he has got a good head on his shoulders, and I think he'll react to it. 
I think he's going to have a, an outstanding season. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch him. And well, on that, on that so. topic, you know, Pete, I certainly hope ahead. so. And, you know, I was a little bit surprised to see that from Howie, you know. I know he wears his heart on his sleeve, and, you know, and I love him. I really do. One of the great giants of all time, no question about it. But I was a little bit surprised to see that. And, I'm, you know, right now, Harry's probably saying, why did I say that? You know, well, because Pete, he's got enough pressure on him already. Pete, in fairness, I mean, Dave Gettleman came out and said he was – from the hand of God, so I mean, at this yeah. point, well, at this point, so. it's hard to thing, it's hard you know, to get you know on Harry with Will Hernandez. Tell Marco next time he comes on, don't worry about Will Hernandez. I watched so much film on this kid and watched uh, the Senior Bowl, and uh, if you look up the word pancake in the dictionary, his picture is going to be there. Yeah. Literally. Well, I mean, I, I saw him abuse Marcus Davenport. He he abused him in the Senior Bowl. Abused him, and uh, he's he's got this nasty streak about him. He he really knows how to finish, and I and I love him. Um, and my last thing is, um, can you tell me a little bit about Evan Brown? The, the I think he's a guard or tackle we signed. Um, can you tell me a little bit about him? Because I was reading up on him, and there were people that actually projected him to go in about the fourth or fifth round. Could you guys talk it, uh, about him a little bit? And well, I appreciate it, and I'll take it off the air, guys. You got it, Pete, and appreciate the phone call. But before we get to Evan Brown, just one thing I wanted to add about two of the points he brought up. Number one, Will Hernandez, I think, has an unbelievable track record, a lot of upside. But if any fan is not interested in crowning an individual so quickly, I can't blame them because there are no guarantees with any draft pick, regardless of how well they played in college. Number two, Saquon Barkley actually also addressed the media before we came on, and he was asked that exact question about how you know everybody's crowning him as a Hall of Famer and sure. a guarantee, and, and he was asked, you know, how are you handling all this? And he said, listen, I've got my own expectations. You know, I'm putting myself high on the pedestal as well because I want to do well. Very so, good. I mean, good answer. I, I think that's the perfect answer. It doesn't matter what the media says. It doesn't matter what former players say. Good. It doesn't matter what you and I say. At the end of the day, he's got to go out there and he's got to prove himself. But if you think that after being the second overall pick, he's walking in and not having high hopes for himself, then, no. I mean, come on. <laughs> he doesn't get to be a second round, a second pick yeah. in the NFL draft if he doesn't have high expectations for himself. And more importantly, that tells you about the character of this young man. It tells you about his mindset, and it tells you about his his will to succeed. That's very important. I like that a lot. I really do because you know what? He's not worried about anybody else's expectations. All he's worried about is his own, and that's perfect for me. I like that. I agree. I, I think that's an attractive statement that he said, especially before he gets going. Evan Brown, the last caller brought up, not only has he played guard, keep in mind, he's also a center out of SMU. So he's got versatility on the interior. And, you know, here's another thing to take into consideration. Speaking of Evan Brown, Brett Jones is the starting center. You look at the depth behind him, Jeff. Not much. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's Although they're playing Halap- Halap- Halapio. Halapia. Yes. Jeez. <laughs> I was going to call you, him. Uh, you were complimenting yourself so early in the program. I didn't tilapia. want you to tarnish tilapia, like tilapia. Okay, like the fish. <laughs> Anyways, they have him playing a little bit of center. Correct, they do. No, he he is certainly an option. He was on but, the team last year. Not but, a lot of depth there. No, but there isn't a lot of depth. So a guy like Evan Brown, you know, it's, once again, it's easy to overlook some of these undrafted free agents. We'll see how they utilize him. I think the versatility that he has, where he's played center, he's played right guard. I mean, to be exact, he started all twelve games at right guard this past season. And then in his junior and senior seasons, he started 25 consecutive games at center. So 
like I said, durability, check. Versatility, check. Size. Size, check, too. 6'2", 302. But now we got to see what he could do when he puts the pads on, and you're just not going to be able to tell much of anything in rookie minicamp. Well, I think the big thing, and it's the buzzword for offensive linemen that we always use, and that's the word versatility. All of these guys have to be versatile. They have to be, with exception, maybe to the tackles. Okay, those guys, yeah, they can come in and play, but they're really not. You know, they're tackles for a reason, um, but the centers and guards are interchangeable. They can go from right to left, left to right, and center, whatever. Um, so, but do you, right now, Hal Hunter, the offensive lineman, and and Coach, coach. Shermer. O-line coach, yep, yeah. They are looking at this offensive line is how can we get, obviously, Captain Obvious here, the five best players, but where is our depth going to come from and how good are these guys going to be behind us because we need it. The offensive line very, very rarely sticks together the whole season. You know that. So there's going to be always guys moving from left to right and right to left, but you've got to have guys that can insert into the lineup and you've got to have quality depth. Maybe one of these guys stand out there. Maybe they're the, they're the rotational guy that can play right guard or play left guard, can play center, and maybe Evan Brown is one of those guys. Who knows? Well, it'll be fun to watch the competition behind the starters because that, to me, is an area where the Giants did not have a great deal of depth last season given all the injuries that occurred, especially with Richburg and Pugh, some of the starters. And this year I think they want to go in knowing, Jeff, that if somebody goes down, they feel good that somebody can fill right in. And when you think about it, if John Jerry goes well, from starter just... to bench – I think you've improved your bench right there. Well, I was ju- you took the words from my, my, out of my mouth. That's yes. okay. Omame and John Jerry are your two guys. That one of them is going to start. Yeah. So whoever doesn't is a quality backup right there. Okay. I'm not worried about right guard because I, I think you have the depth there. I'm a little bit worried about center because of Jones is a small guy and you know I don't know how healthy he can stay. But then you got the left guard and the and the left tackle, it's pretty much solidified. Okay. It's the depth behind there. That's what we have to look at, all right? That right tackle position of all the positions still scares the heck out of me because I'm not too keen on the idea of having those three guys out there. Uh, not a lot of not a lot of playing time. They're, they're well, young. Experience, yeah. Um, you know, and listen, they, Bobby, they get rid of Bobby Hart. Um, and I, I talk like I don't know if Eric Flowers is going to – you know, is he going to be the guy out there? I mean, obviously, he's still in the roster. He's still a giant, and he's still going to be in the plans to play right tackle. We'll see what happens, but it's unproven. He's unproven at that position. He's pretty much unproven at left tackle, too. Yeah, we're talking <laughs> about he hasn't played right tackle since his early days at Miami. Yeah. So it's been a while since been he's while. had to uh, work on that area of the footwork in, in that uh, department. So that's going to be something to monitor once he gets back in the mix. All right, well, that is going to wrap up. Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Speaking of Miami, we want to thank Joel Rodriguez, the Director of Player Development for the Defense, for joining us earlier in the program. In case you missed it, it'll be on the full archive, which will be up on Giants.com later today. Rookie minicamp will continue tomorrow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest coverage. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Lance Lance. Meadow. You got it. Enjoy the rest of your Friday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.